Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning on this frosty December morning. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Romans 8, 27. Let's look at our announcements. Choir rehearsal tonight at 5. I'm pretty sure that's going to stand. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then at 6 o'clock, we'll be continuing our study in uh, Ezra. And uh, as is our tradition, we'll have our uh, finger foods and uh, time of fellowship uh, downstairs starting at 6 o'clock. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. You'll see uh, Andrea's number there for the prayer chain. Annual Christmas Cantata. Next Sunday evening, that's the 16th, at 7 p.m. Don't make that note. Uh, we've been having it uh, a matinee, but this year, 7 p.m., uh, Swartz Creek uh, will be here. I'm sorry? Okay, so I, I, think I, I don't think I misread that, but it, it, it is incorrect. Swartz Creek will not be here this year. Uh, again, a little bit different. Uh, but still, um, my bulletin is, <laughs> I can't read it. <laughs> let, me, let me pull this one out. Um, okay. Uh, finger foods, uh, as, as normal, uh, lots of refreshments, and uh, uh, so we'll, we'll be doing that. Days of Praise booklets and the Acts and Facts are here. That's on the foyer table directly behind where I'm standing in the, in the foyer. Uh, make use of those. It's a really good resource. Uh, they don't do any good sitting on that table. So, um, On Sunday, December the 23rd, uh, following the worship hour, we'll take a short break, and then the children have uh, a little nativity play they're going to do. It takes about 15 minutes, and there'll be no evening service that day. So uh, make plans uh, for that. Okay. See, we have some visitors this morning. Welcome to you. Thank you for coming. We hope you'll be blessed for having been here. Um, have I missed anything else? Busy season? Oh, yes. Thank you very much for the decorations. Beautiful as usual. I know that takes time and effort. Our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from Revelation, the 21st chapter. Read uh, verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, that's page 1937 in the Pew Bible.
Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless us as we worship. George, can I ask you again? Amen. Remain standing. Good morning. Will you take your brown hymnal, the brown hymnal, and turn to page number 468, 468 in the brown. seated. At this time we um, like to congregation to pick a hymn of your favorite hymn um, and if there is a favorite I'd like to raise your hand and give me a reason why. Um, and Andrew I turned you down last week and since there's no other hand Andrew you are up sir. Do you remember what you asked me last week? Yeah, just the title and I can look it up kid. What child is this? Let's look. 
137 in the brown in the brown 137 Andrew do you have a reason for this one honey I missed it it's his favorite all right favorite Christmas song it is one of my favorite Christmas songs too yes Can we change hymnals and do 213 in the red? The, the, the brown hymnal likes to change words. Yeah, 213 in the red. 213 in the red. Same song. Same song, just better words. 213, yes.
Scripture reading this morning is taken from Romans 8, and we'll be reading 18 through 27. That's 1757 in the Pew Bible. kindly stand with us as we read this. I'll be reading from the New International Version. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For hopes, for who hopes what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with with God's will. May the Lord add his blessing to this holy and inspired word. We take your brown hymnals again and turn to number 463, this time 463 in the brown.
Aiden. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 8. Our last study took us in uncharted waters as we considered the joy of judgment, as contradictory as that might sound. Few people, if any, would see any joy in judgment. But as believers, we take our cues from, on life from God. We learn that the day of Jesus' return is his day of self-vindication. It's a time when he appears not as some humble Jewish carpenter's son, but in his pre-existent glory as the Son of God. John words it this way, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall, see, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, verse 2. We shall see him as he is. Not as he was presented at his birth and in his humanity. There is a sense in which the humanity of Jesus, while vital to his cross work, nonetheless hid from man's view the regality of his deity and his power. Only on one occasion, and only in the presence of but three disciples, did Jesus pull back the veil, so to speak, and allow those disciples to see his majestic glory. The text reads this way. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. The Greek term means, uh, well, it's the Greek word metamorphos, to change the form of. And we read on from, Luke, from Mark's gospel. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Mark 9, verse 2 and 3. And Matthew tells us his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. It is this deity that will shine forth in Jesus' second coming. We learn that God's saints will be, in, be vindicated. And we in, in vindicating his own name, Jesus also vindicates those who are called by his name. And may I say, who suffered for it and have suffered for it. The writer of Hebrews words it this way, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear 
a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 9, verse 28. And our joy in the judgment is that God's name will no longer be profaned or ridiculed or abused by the world. That's something to rejoice in. And secondly, God's people, the sheep, enter into eternal life while the wicked persecutors, the goats, enter the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. So the separation of the goats and the sheep take place at that time. Now today's study focuses on the joy of renewal. And there's two lessons on this, this morning's lesson, and then next week we'll do a follow-up lesson to complete the thought. The joy of renewal. Let's pray and ask the Lord to enable us. Father, send your spirit upon us to be our teacher. We know he is the teacher. I can't teach God's people anything. I can give forth the word, but only you can take what is said, the, the truth of it, and apply it to our hearts, and we pray that you will do that. Firstly, for your own glory, and secondly, for our good. We thank you, Lord, that we can count upon you to be our teacher. And in that way, the uh, taints that man might give, the spins that we might do in terms of Scripture are removed, and you get the glory. May you get the glory today, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at the subject today of the joy of renewal, renewal. You'll notice in your bulletin outline the first point being that the creation, all of creation, awaits liberation from corruption and decay. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the sin of Adam and Eve affected more than themselves and more than their posterity. They were cursed by God for their sin, but so was all of creation. Let me read it for you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you will return. Genesis 3 verse 17 and following. This is Paul's analysis of that, of a, of that in our text. Verse 20. The creation, writes Paul, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Romans 8, verse 20 and following. Adam and Eve lived an agrarian lifestyle. 
by which I mean they planted crops, they groomed fruit trees, that's how they ate. They did that to provide food for themselves and eventually for their family. Well, the curse changed all this. Suddenly, life in Eden ended, and our first parents were expelled into a hostile environment. Let me read it for you. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken them. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That is guard in the sense of prevent. Genesis 3, verse 23 and 24. In a conversation within the Trinity, God gave this reason for this. The Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 3, verse 22. You see, the tree of life was the second of two specially designated trees within Eden. The only prohibition I can find that God gave to Adam and Eve was to abstain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, verse 17 says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but, and the only exception was, as I say, the tree that they did eat from at Satan's prompting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they disobeyed. They ate. They became sinners. They became like Satan, not like God. They lost something in eating. They didn't gain anything in eating. And with that failure, a second prohibition kicked in, and that is... They must not eat of the tree of life and live forever. You see, forever locked into a state of sin, forever locked into a state of rebellion to God. And so they were therefore expelled from Eden. And warrior angels with the sword were posted by the tree of life, lest they try to sneak in and Eat from it. And it was grace on God's part to kick them out. To bar them from ever returning to the Garden of Eden. Now as we noted earlier, the environment changed radically. Thorns, thistles, hard plowing. But also anything that would cause painful toil as it's worded. Painful toil in scratching out a living from the ground. What would that be? Well, bugs, mildews, pests, think of locusts, viruses that eat or destroy vegetation, diseases, danger to life, danger to limb. The environment became hostile. The animal kingdom became hostile and dangerous, not only to one another, but to mankind. The text in Isaiah 11, which we read last week, says... That at the renewal, the renewal, the wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. 
and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11 verses 6 and following. This is a restoration text. But what it also does is to remind us of a world before sin. The Garden of Eden before. The creation was cursed by God for Adam and Eve's willful disobedience. That's what it was like living in Eden. In Paul's day, this restoration had not yet happened, and historically there has been plenty of evidence that creation has been and is groaning under the weight of God's curse. When David gave evidence to King Saul that he, a boy was capable of going up against the giant Goliath. This is what he said to the king. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, your servant, moi, you see, has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. Now my question is, why would a lion, why would a bear come into a sheepfold? Because they no longer eat straw like an ox, that's why. They're carnivorous. They have to have meat. And it doesn't stop there. The scripture says, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and they jeered at him. Go up, you bald head. They said, go up, you bald head. Ridiculing God's prophet. He turned around and he looked at them and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of those youths. 2 Kings two twenty three and 24. Which was God's way of saying, don't mess with God's prophets. Of Samson we read, Samson went down to Timnah and suddenly a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. As he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Judges 14, verse 5 and 6. In the Nile of Egypt, the Nile River, it is plagued by saltwater crocs. Saltwater crocs. 
saltwater crocs can reach a length of 25 feet. They attack zebras, wildebeest, right along the shore. They come right out of the water, Adam. The lives of many people are lost because the people wash their clothes along the Nile River, on washboards or on rocks. The crocs come right at them. What I am saying is that the animal kingdom, then and now, are whether wild or domesticated, is not to be given unquestionable trust by mankind. The wild in them is the result of God's curse. Israel was warned by God that if they continue to disobey him, let me read it for you, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. Deuteronomy 28, verse 22. And in verse 38, same chapter, and you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest very little because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. It's the word for abort. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will be taken into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. Deuteronomy 28, verse 38 and following. No wonder Paul says in our text, as he does say, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 22. But creation is also doing something else. Verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. What is creation's hope? What is creation's confidence if it has a hope or a confidence? Verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated. Liberated from the bondage of decay. Brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What glorious freedom? Verse 23, our adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies. You see the judgment day of which we spoke last week when analyzing Jesus' account of the shepherd who separates his sheep from the goats. Part of that judgment is our redemption. Our redemption as believers. Matthew 25 verse 46. Then they... The goats, it's referring to, the unbelievers, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So judgment day 
for the wicked, redemption day for the righteous. Jesus put it this way. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things take place, stand up. Lift up your eyes. Because your redemption, your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, verse 27 and following. The concept of redemption is that of buying back something that was forfeited or lost. The Greek term indicates freedom resulting from making a ransom payment. Kind of a silly illustration, but when I was at school at Moody, we students sometimes ran short on cash. But State Street, just a block away from Moody, was loaded with pawn shops. So you could go over there with something of value, a watch, a ring. In my case, it was a ukulele. And you could pawn it for a certain amount of money. They would pay you for that item. And then they would stick it back on the shelf and they would give you a, a redemption ticket. You say, well, what was that for? That is when you got your feet back on the ground financially. You could take that redemption. This was in a certain period of time, you understand. It wasn't there forever. But within a certain period of time, you could take the redemption ticket back to the pawn shop and buy back whatever it is that you pawned in order to get some money. In my case, a ukulele. Could have been wash, ring, whatever was pawned. Redemption. Buy it back. Buy it back. Sin, Satan, and the world all sink their teeth into us and they hold us fast, refusing to let us go to become the sheep of God's pasture as he has ordained. Satan held the keys of death. We are told sin leveled the indictment. The wages of sin is death. And the world provides the playground where sin is advocated and promoted. And this trilogy, sin, Satan, and the world, is far too strong for any mortal to break those ties. Yet our text talks about the glorious freedom, the glorious freedom, did I read that right? The glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 21. How's that happen? Galatians 3, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us. Here's that word again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He stepped in, you see, and paid the price. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Galatians 3, verse 13. And Peter explains the unique nature of, of this payment. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed uh-uh, from your empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But you were redeemed with the precious 
blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. So both these texts talk of redemption as a done deal. Christ redeemed, past tense, redeemed us. Or the other text, you were redeemed, past tense again. But there's yet a future hope to be completed. Verse 23 of our text, the redemption of our bodies. If we're dead and buried, the redemption of our bodies. If we are alive and well when Christ comes, we need to be changed. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. And it is this latter transformation that all of creation awaits because when we are renewed, the curse will end and creation will be liberated as well. Now that's the second point. This is a renewal, not brand new. Get it now. Renewal. Matthew 19, verse 28 says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Greek word renewal is a compound word, pali, means again and genesia, to generate. So put it together, it means to generate or enliven again. Renewal. King James Version translates regeneration, which is the word the Bible uses for making people alive spiritually who are dead in trespasses and sins. And when it's used, as it is in Matthew 19, 28, by Jesus in speaking of the renewal of all things, it indicates the restoration of things to their pristine state before sin spoiled creation. It's common, folks. When we think of it even in the spiritual realm of the soul's regeneration, God's original declaration concerning the creation of Adam and Eve comes to mind, and it says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. King James Version says a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. So when we couple this with God's warning about the forbidden tree, we are told, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. We know that Adam and Eve died that day, didn't they? They died spiritually like that, and eventually they died physically. As a result of their disobedience. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it is what Paul says of all people. 
As for you, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And Paul then proceeds to explain what God did to rectify that curse. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Colossians 2 verse 13. This is the restoration of the soul to life in God, which it lost because of the curse. You shall surely die. And we did die. And in Adam we all died. Now when we come to our text, we learn that all of creation lives in anticipation of liberation from the bondage of decay. Verse 21. The decay, may I say, of the curse. Jesus taught that a renewal is coming, a regeneration, if you please, a return to life as it once was before sin spoiled everything. What about all those Old Testament texts that talk about the mountains disappearing and the sun refusing to shine and the stars failing, falling rather to the earth, the moon turning to blood, referring to its color, the sky being rolled up like a scroll? What about 2 Peter 3, 10 and following? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The initial reading of this sounds like everything reminiscent of heaven and earth as we know them are gone and something brand new replaces them. It sounds like that, doesn't it? But that's not the case. The Greek language has two main words for new. Two main words for new. One word means new in the sense of refurbished. It's the Greek word kainos. New in character. This is the one that's found in Second Peter text. Speaking of the new heaven and the new earth. Thus, the idea of refurbished heaven, a refurbished earth. There's another Greek word that means new in reference to time. It's the Greek word, newos. Sounds like new, doesn't it? In almost like English. And that means to be brand new. That is, not there before. It's new. It wasn't, but now it is. So that's another that's a different Greek word. 
Though Peter, thus Peter is in agreement with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19, verse 28, in which he promises the renewal, the word is regeneration, of all things at his second coming. We sometimes use the word new in the same way that the Greek language does. We say, oh, I see you got a new car. Yeah, but the new car happens to be a 2015 model with 50,000 miles on it. What's the person saying then? Why are they saying, I see you got a, I see you got a new car? Well, it's new to them. It's new to you. Because it's different from the one you had, but it isn't brand new. Now, it might be brand new, in which case we would use the same phraseology. I see you got a new car. So you'd have to be up on whether the thing was brand new or whether it's just new to the person. Well, the Greek language speaks the same way. This is what God does. He renews that which sin destroys. This is what God delights to do. To take what sin has spoiled and ruined, which seems to be irreparable, and then remake it, restore it to its original design. So that you look at it and say, oh, this is new. Yeah, only God can take that, which is broken. Your soul, your relationship with him, and make it new. Wow. Consider the great flood. It is spoken of in the Bible in the most destructive of terms. Water ascended over the highest mountains. All creatures containing the breath of life perished. Upheaval occurred in the mountains and in the deep. The earth mass was divided into the various continents as we now know them. Africa, North America, South America, Europe, you name it. Genesis 10 verse 25 explains that. Tremendous, mind-boggling changes. But all this newness is not brand new. Though it's definitely new in character. The instrument God uses in this renewal of heaven and earth is not water. It's fire. Peter refers to the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And I note that fire, even more than a flood, has the ability to purge and clean when you think about it. You know, before surgical skills, before that, before that, gaping wounds were what? They were cauterized with hot irons to seal the skin and prevent infection. Farmers are known to deliberately, deliberately set their fields on fire to kill the weed seeds, make way for the planting and propagation of food seeds. We want to get rid of the weeds, then we'll plant the good stuff. So they set their fields on fire. Say they wouldn't do that. Oh yeah, we did it. I I lived on a farm and we did it. 
And it worked. Fire will kill those weed seeds. And then you plant your wheat or whatever it is. And you don't have weeds. You do, there's no weeding to do. Think of hell's fires of which Peter writes, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly men. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. Our text last week, then, he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. And Jude writes, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Jude, verse 7. Wow, that's scary. The lack of quenching for this fire is God's forever containment of what is evil and sinful so that it will not raise its ugly head again and ruin the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. It's fearfully awesome. Fearfully awesome. So that brings us lastly to end to the joy of a renewed earth. We don't have it yet. But it's coming. Sin no more polluting our world. Malachi words it this way. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But don't fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3, verses 1 through 5. When he comes, he comes as a refining fire. John gives his vision, and it is this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now that's new in the sense of renewal. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, 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 
the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation 21, verses 5 and 5. There's one death when you die and go into the grave, and then there's the second death, which experiences the sudden judgment of God and now we know what Jesus meant when he said the field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Matthew 13, verse 38 and following. What is Jesus saying? This is the way it's going to be, so listen up. Do you have an ear? Listen up. I'm telling you in advance what's coming. You're being forewarned so you can be prepared. Today's the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, repent. Because this is what's coming. I'm telling it true. And if you wait till then, guess what? It's, it's going to be too late. Way too late. So sin no more will pollute the world because God will purge it out. Secondly, creation is restored to its pristine purity. No more wild animals. No more toxic environment. The EPA will be out of business. No more disease. No more blight on crops. No more creatures that act as pests. Think of those locusts, the mosquitoes, the vermin, the germs. No more, no more, no more, no more. Say, so where, where are you getting that from in the book of Isaiah? Let me read it for you. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. Whoever heard of that? The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Oh, wow, really? The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Really? The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. Really? The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. George and I don't like snakes, do we, George? 
<laughs> not even 10 months. I was mowing my grass one time over at Beth Drive, and I went, I was doing some hand mowing under the pine trees I had planted, and I went to go under this tree, and here's this snake all curled up under the pine tree, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking back, and I'm saying to him, I won't bother you if you don't bother me, and I went past and didn't mow under that tree. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 9. Probably the only time, George, when you and I will think, think differently about snakes. The Ezekiel text says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, a reference to Christ. He will tend them. He will tend them and, and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. I will bless them in the places surrounded by my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. That's where they get that song by. There will be showers of blessing. It comes from this text, Isaiah 11. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit. And the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I'm the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Ezekiel 34, verse 23 and following. Hosea writes, This in that day declares the Lord, You will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Husband is intimate, isn't it? More, more intimate than master. You will call me my husband. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword in battle, I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love 
to the one I call not my loved one. I will say to those not my people, you are my people. I will say, you are, you will say, you are my God. Hosea 2, verse 16 and following. John words it this way in his vision. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. Those days are coming, brethren. And Christ has secured it through his shed blood. He has atoned for our sins. He has redeemed us, bought us back from sin, the flesh, the world. Our enemies cannot hang on to us anymore. They have to release their grip. He paid the price. They got to let us go. And they shall. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Precious word. Precious truths. It all began in the mind of God in eternity past and brought to life and fruition in history, your history, through the coming of the Savior, which we're celebrating at this time of the year. Not just little baby Jesus, no, no, but the baby Jesus who became a young man and at age 12 was found among the theologians of the faith to learn of God. And then and as he matured and grew, he set his face towards Jerusalem and never flinched. And what was at Jerusalem? The cross was waiting him there. As the government of Rome, along with the Gentiles of other nations and the Jews as well, were glad to sacrifice him and nail him to a tree, not knowing that they were bringing about the very means of redemption for all sinners. Thank you, dear Lord, for such a great sacrifice. I remember your words in John 5. No man takes your life away from you. That's what you said. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And for this reason, the Father loves me. Willingly, gladly. The writer of Hebrews says, for joy that you saw, you went to the cross. We don't think that's very joyous. But the outcome has been joyous. But you saw that joy. And for your people laid down your life. Help us to see it and believe it. And to live our life with thankfulness and gratitude. May you be honored and glorified. Save whom you will today. May we appreciate your cross, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. 
and we anticipate your coming again. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, number 466. 466. I like this hymn. Jesus, lover of my soul. Wow. Let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll. While the tempest stills high, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide. O receive my soul at last. Let's stand together as we sing 466, Brown Hymnal.
wonderful and godly hymn by Wesley. Wow. Well, tonight we meet downstairs in Fellowship Hall for our study in the book of Ezra. So please come out. That's at um, 6 o'clock. And we'll see you then for uh, light refreshments, which we also bring. And come and enjoy the study and come to strengthen your faith. Amen. We're dismissed.